Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Seth Williams and Jaron Barnes, and you're listening to the RE Tipster Podcast, episode 110. Show notes for today's episode can be found at retipster.com forward slash 110. So today we're talking about an issue that I remember hearing a lot about when I was getting started in real estate. It's something that a lot of people kind of throw around as like a catch-all solution to all of your business problems. It's the subject of when and why and how to hire a virtual assistant or a VA. And I think, uh, first of all, one of the issues that I personally had when I was getting started is that I didn't have a whole lot of money. I mean, I was like barely squeaking by with barely enough to do my first deal. And even then, I had to use all that money to fund future deals. And, you know, even though a lot of virtual assistants, you know, overseas, they're not necessarily expensive. I think maybe the starting rate nowadays is maybe about 600 bucks a month or three to four bucks an hour, depending on which country they're from and what they're doing for you and all that. That's kind of like, you know, the bottom line, like bare bones starting cost. So it's not like it's crazy expensive, but it's still money. Like you got to find that from somewhere. And I think once you're raking in piles of cash, it's not that hard to budget that out. But for me, that was one of the issues. I, I knew that was a solution, but I still was having a hard time getting that cash regularly to pay for this. I was also having issues figuring out like, where do I find a good person and somebody who's reliable? And how do I find enough consistent work to give them like on an ongoing basis? Uh, and how do I find the right jobs to give them? Because not every virtual assistant is going to be good at everything. In fact, none of them will be good at, at everything. A uh, VA is just a normal person, just like you are great at certain things and terrible at other things. That's what you should expect from a normal VA. So there's just a lot of stuff to unpack here. And I think a lot of us have probably heard people say that, like, yeah, just hire a VA, done, you know, but there's a lot more to that, that we have to figure out how to do. And so a lot of stuff that Jaron and I are going to cover here will sort of come from a mixture of our own personal experience, finding and hiring and working with VAs. And also from just insights and knowledge that we have gleaned from reading books on the subject, hearing other people talk on the subject, hearing other people's experiences on it. So hopefully there's going to be plenty of value packed into this episode that you can walk away with. So with that, I guess we'll get started. Yeah, let's get started. So maybe the first question I think everybody needs to answer for their own situation is... Can you afford a VA? Or even if you do have the money, like, is that the right place to put your money at this time, as opposed to all the other things you have to pay for in your business? And like, what should you expect to pay for certain types of virtual assistants or paid professionals in other parts of the world? I think it's a good question. Kind of like I mentioned earlier, you know, I think that maybe 600 bucks a month range is probably a, a decent starting point to expect. And that's for somebody who they're not necessarily like an expert on any particular thing. They're just available to like do a lot of the lower paying jobs that you don't have time or can't justify doing yourself. Things like posting things on social media or following up with people or maybe posting listings online, that kind of stuff. But Jaron, what's your experience? Have you seen any different prices than that? Or what have you paid your VAs in the past? Yes, that's pretty comparable to, funny enough, I just onboarded a bunch of VAs um, within the last month or so. What I'm paying is about $700 per VA. I, it's cool, the 
company that I found, I'm in contact with a kind of a liaison who's in the Philippines and I pay her and she handles all the hiring and firing and training and is responsible to meet my work quota and stuff. So it's a, a pretty cool setup how it all came about. Yeah. What company is it? So it's called Cyber B, no, CyberBeatVA.com. Is that B-E-A-T? Yeah. Their website doesn't seem to be working, but... That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. The lady actually came through my existing network, and that was going to be my biggest tip for today's podcast, is that I very much am aware of the feeling of overwhelm and you know, where do you go? There's a bunch of different service providers out there. There's Upwork and it can be extremely overwhelming on where to get started. And my approach was, uh, as I was doing this for my own land business, I realized, you know, I'm probably going to be better off just asking other people that I have in my network where they got their VAs or actually reaching out to past VAs that I've worked with at different companies and ask them if they happen to know anybody. So for example, when I used to work for Bigger Pockets, the guy that used to edit the Bigger Pockets podcast was a, a guy from the Philippines named Dave. And so I reached out to him saying, Hey, do you know anybody who is in the Philippines who um, might be open to working with me as a virtual assistant? And I reached out to a bunch of people and D ended up coming uh, my direction from David Richter over at Simple CFO Solutions. You know, I think the the jury's still out as to whether or not things are going to pan out or, or what have you. But if, um, you know, we get a couple months down the road and it's just been nothing but smooth sailing, I'm definitely going to share a lot more about my experience working with uh, D over at CyberB, CyberBeatVA.com, I think is that's our go-to email. Yeah. And we're going to be covering a lot of different online resources in this conversation. So again, be sure to check out a list of all the different links to all the places we're talking about in the show notes, retipster.com forward slash 110. And you'll see all this stuff there if you ever want to go reference that or check in on it. And also through all these different things we're going to be talking about, I don't know that I'd take them as like recommendations. We're not saying like, you should go here and do this. It's more just, these are the ones we know about. These are the ones we hear about. Some of them we've worked with directly, but not all of them. So don't take this as like, oh yeah, Arian Tipster endorses this company and everything they do because we just- Very good point. <laughs> don't know enough, so. Yeah, 100%. You know, I will say that uh, when it comes down to how much you should expect to pay for a VA, so I think a lot of people's default is to go the overseas route and pay just bare bones as little as possible for a VA which I understand. It does certainly make sense just in terms of the value of the tasks that are being done. And also when a person has a limited budget, you know, it doesn't make sense necessarily to hire somebody in the US or the UK or Canada and pay them tons of money for pretty much the same thing. But there are times when I think it is justifiable. And I know, for example, I've got uh, a virtual assistant, you know, who lives in the US and, you know, my going rate is $20 an hour. And I think there's certainly times when that can make more sense. And one of those situations is if the task is super important, if you need the person to think just like you do and really understand the way your mind works, like, for example, one of the things my VA does for me is sort through my inbox, which that might seem like a simple thing, but 
it's actually kind of a hard job because when you think of every possible person who could ever be emailing you, especially the number and quantity and variety of emails that I personally get, there's just a lot of critical thinking that goes into, okay, is this important? Who are they? Who are they coming from? I got to now figure out what they do. And is this something that Seth needs to know about or is it not? If he doesn't need to know about what kind of response should I be sending to them? Do they require a response at all? And, uh, you know, this kind of thing, like important emails can come in and if they're missed, it can cause huge problems. So it's not like a flippant thing. You just want to hire anybody and put them in charge of your inbox. It's, it's a pretty powerful position in some ways, just in terms of like, you know, knowing what to do. Yeah, for me in my if we talk about the land business, I would be very hesitant to hire somebody overseas for say like an acquisition manager role, you know, somebody who's hand, handling the phones. Maybe somebody who might be like a call screener or something, but when it gets to the point of running the numbers and making offers, I would be pretty hesitant to outsource that role to somebody overseas just because there's a lot of nuances that go into it that are kind of subject to the like culture that we live in in America. Yeah. I mean, it's not unheard of. There's a, I remember there's a wholesaler based in Indianapolis that I knew who had a Filipino based VA who was the go-to for, I think dispositions or acquisitions. I talked to her a couple of different times and she worked out great, but I think she was more of an outlier um, to be able to even have like the slang and the cadence of the way that we speak English in America, it's really easy to miss all that when you're in the thick of it. But you know that I think that would be something that I would be really hesitant to to outsource. Yeah, and there's also we're going to get into this a little bit more later on in the conversation. But depending on where you find your VA and uh, you know how much help you have with managing the HR side of things, like for example. Uh, my, the first VA that I found, I found through Upwork and she's worked great. The ability to find good people is certainly there, but it doesn't mean everybody who responds to your job post is going to be qualified. In fact, many of them won't be. So there's a lot you have to do to like figure out, is this the right person or not? Having conversations with them, like maybe even have them record a video of themselves and send it to you to introduce themselves, get on a call, like really kind of put them through the ringer because it's going to be an important job. And the nice thing about Upwork is that it can track the hours and the time that that person is spending on the job. Like it literally takes screenshots of the person's screen. So, and it logs their time and just automatically takes it out of your account to pay them. So the payroll side of things is, is just nice. You don't have to think about it. It's just done. If you found them some other place, you would have to find a way to manually send them money and they would have to find another means of tracking their time if you're going to do it that way or just pay them a salary of some kind. Another option is, and again, we're going to go through a lot more options later on, but uh, another employee I've got, I hired in the Philippines through a company called Outsource Accelerator. We actually interviewed the head of that company in episode 40 of the podcast, Derek Gallimore. But the cool thing about Outsource Accelerator is they're basically like the HR department. And one of the first things that they do is, you know, you put together a really detailed job description similar to what you would do on Upwork and you give it to them and they will go out and find qualified candidates that they think are qualified and they will send them to you. And they'll sort of accompanied with that is their own assessment of like why they think this person is qualified 
Then they can all send you video introductions a couple minutes long. You can see examples of their work. Then you can schedule time to talk to them directly. And usually it becomes pretty clear in that process which ones are actually good candidates and which ones are not. They really kind of hold your hand in terms of finding the right person. And uh, also beyond that, you know, once you do find the right person, the way that you handle payroll for the person you hire is Outsource Accelerator will send you a monthly invoice that you can pay by credit card. It's pretty simple. Like with the money that you pay to them, they will take out the money that that employee has to pay for taxes. Uh, Another thing that they do is they have like a physical workspace, like a literal office that your employee can go to, to sit down with a computer. And I think the benefit of that is that this employee is sort of in a work environment among other people who are also doing similar kinds of work. So they just kind of have that built-in oversight that's there, you know, and they're there from a certain time at the beginning of the day to the certain time at the end of the day. That kind of thing has kind of been upset a little bit through the whole COVID-19 pandemic. They're not going to work in person as much anymore, but in normal conditions, that's part of how it works. And with the monthly invoice that you pay, part of that money goes to cover the cost for all this stuff. So It's really pretty simple on the end of the employer. They just pay that monthly invoice and everything is paid for through that. And RE Tipster actually does have an affiliate relationship with Outsource Accelerator. If you ever do want to check them out, it's just retipster.com forward slash Outsource Accelerator. And you can go check that out. But just so you know, like I've worked with them firsthand and it's been a great experience. Yeah, I've also really heard good things about Rocket Station. I hear that it's pretty expensive compared to a lot of other options, but it's a very similar service to uh, Outsource Accelerator. Word on the street is they actually have VAs that are specifically trained and prepared for real estate. So I would definitely encourage people to check that one out as well. Yeah. So when it comes to hiring a VA, like how do you know if you should even be doing this? Like, is it the right time? What exactly are you hiring them for? What tasks? I know John Maxwell has this quote. I don't know where he said this, but he basically said, if something can be done 80% as good as you, it's worth delegating. And this is something that I personally have a huge, huge struggle with. Like it's just this massive mental block where I just have a really hard time trusting people. And especially when the job they're doing is very public and very visible or just has a very big impact in some way for something further on down the road. I just feel like it's gotta be me that does it. I've heard all the insight and I know it's, it's not a healthy way to think through things, but I'm just being honest. Like I've got a really hard time with it, but I think just hearing that perspective, the truth is like, it's probably not going to be done as well as I could do it or as well as you could do it. And nobody else probably will care to the level that you do, but like, it's still okay. Perfection does not have to be there. It just needs to be good enough. Like the minimum viable product or result that will keep things moving forward. And I think if, if you, or if I can manage to let go of that a little little bit and just have a looser grip, it will really allow a lot of things to run smoother and you can really get further if you can do that. So if you're somebody out there who struggles with that, just know you're not alone. I totally get it. And I still struggle with it, but it can be overcome. Yeah. Gary V has been talking a lot about that recently. A lot of, uh, he'll have little snippets of conferences that he'll do. And a lot of his talks, he'll allow for 
Q&A and people will ask him, how do I get my employees to you know, work as hard as I do or how do I get them to love the company as much as as I do? And, and his response is, you can't. Like you can't, it's selfish of you to think that your employee should care as much as you do about your own company. This is your company. <laughs> like this is your legacy. This is your kid's inheritance, but it's not that for them. So go into the working relationship with the proper expectation that you as the company leader, you're there to serve them. They're not necessarily there to serve you. I mean, that's challenging. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, I think you could take that to an extreme. You definitely should not be a doormat and allow people to take advantage of you in response to that. But I think if you uh, avoid the extremes, I think that's a pretty good principle, pretty good mindset. Totally. In terms of like what you should be hiring a person for, whether it's a VA or whoever, I think I heard this, I don't remember where I heard this. I think it was maybe the Fizzle Show podcast years ago when they kind of talked about the VA thing, but they came up with, I think it was three lists to freedom. And one of them is tasks you hate doing, tasks you can't do very well or very quickly, or tasks that you shouldn't be doing. And the ones you shouldn't be doing are the most important. And I think that boils down to maybe a combination of those first two things. Like if you just despise the task or if you can't do it very well, or if you can't justify the cost of your time in doing that, it's kind of how you can figure out what those things are. And I think if we're honest, we can all probably think of lots of those things on our list. It's just a matter of recognizing somebody else could do this. So if, if I acknowledge that possibility, what can I allow myself to let go of? And I think it's also important to hire for the role and not the task because no virtual assistant is going to be good at everything. In other words, like don't look at a single thing that that role encompasses and hire for that. Look at all the things that they need to do and figure out a way to like group those things into similar buckets so you can come up with that role. For example, like if you've got somebody who is an expert video editor or something like that, don't put them in charge of coding your website. Or if you have somebody who's a great writer, you know, that might not necessarily be the right person to manage all your listings or manage all your social media stuff. There might be some crossover there, but that, you know, it's not necessarily all in the same bucket of things that ought to be grouped together. Yeah. And just to chime in there, I think that using personality data and uh, personality like profiling I'm using different stuff like the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or what have you. I think having um, that kind of approach to finding the right fit for the different roles within your company is really ideal because my personality would not do well scrubbing direct mail lists 40 hours a week, but that's what I'm hiring a virtual assistant for in my land business, right? So I'm going to try to look for somebody who, if you use like the disc profile, um, scores high on like the C function because they're going to be much more well-equipped to scrub list 40 plus hours a week, you know? So I think using uh, data and not not hiring necessarily because um, you think that they're an incredible person and they're all bubbly and nice or whatever, or, or you guys kick it off, but just really trying to be very logical with your approach and say, okay, does this person really match and are they qualified for the, for the job? 
Yeah, maybe we should cover some of those uh, personality, you know, or skill profile tests. And I know there's a ton of them, and there's probably many that I don't even know about. But I know some of the more common ones, the uh, Colby test, I know is a really popular one. It's not free. You have to like pay for credits and stuff. It is kind of cool, though, how it works. Like you can, that basically what it's all about is figuring out what a person's MO is or their modus operandi, I think is what that stands for. Basically, like, what are you really good at? And it, it boils it down pretty well. I know both Jaren and I have taken it. Basically, everybody I've ever hired has taken that. And one thing that I do like about the Colby test is that you can create a profile for the position that you're hiring for. Like, I think the person needs to have these skills. And then you can give the test to that person, you know, whoever you're looking to hire. And it sort of matches up that person to the profile that you created and it grades them. Like, are they an A? Are they a B? Are they a C? And I think the one the one shortfall to that is maybe I'm wrong about the profile of the thing I'm hiring for, but I'm probably not. Like, I'm probably, I probably know it pretty well since I'm hiring for that. But, you know, assuming you judged that role correctly, it'll just tell you really clearly, like, yeah, this person's a great fit for this or nope, they're probably not. So there's the Colby. There's also the disc test that Jaron mentioned. It's a really popular one. There's even like the Enneagram test, which isn't so much about like competence in the job as much as it's about motivation. Yeah. Like how does this person think? Like what kind of person are they? What motivates them? That kind of stuff. I like that. It's interesting on the Enneagram because I don't know if it's super scientifically based or rigorous. Like I have a friend who actually graduated from university in psychology and he doesn't really respect the Enneagram test that much. Um, and I don't really know what the, the origin of it is, but I got to be honest, out of all the personality tests that I've taken, and I've taken quite a bit throughout the years, that one has to be my favorite. And I think it was the most helpful for me personally. Um, like it, it taught me about myself, gave me some insight into the way that I, I tick. And so even though it's not necessarily like the most scientifically rigorous one or whatever, I would highly recommend that one because it just really shows how people operate and what makes them tick. And as a leader, as a leader of a company, it's good to know they're like, you know, other personality tests as well to make sure that they're a good fit for the role. But it shows you how to incentivize them at an individual level. It helps you know their needs and where they can fall short or like if they're not being productive or or there's an issue, it gives you insight on how to lead them the way that they need to be led, you know, so that they can start being uh, productive again. So highly recommend that one. Yeah. Even just like in your personal life, your spouse, your significant other, your friends, people you work with. Usually it's, it's not that there's like any surprises you'll find out, but it'll sort of confirm and sort of expand on what you already know about people. You know, I know this person thinks with a fear-based mentality, or I know this person likes to be the life of the party, but like, why? Like, why do they think that way? And what are some of the, the deadly sins of that personality type? Or what are they going to be really good at potentially? What does the healthy or unhealthy version of that type look like? There's a book I'm actually right in the middle of right now called The Road Back to You by Ian Crone and Suzanne Stabile. I'm listening to the audio book version of it. And I've heard about that book. Yeah, it, it's written like from the 
Christian perspective, like that vantage point, but just as he describes, you know, what each type is like and, you know, what they need to watch out for and what, you know, how they can know when they're a really healthy version of that. Uh, it's just really eye opening. I actually, I've always, since I took the Enneagram, I've known that I'm a type six, which is, you know, a very loyal person, but also a very fear-based person. But as I've been reading this book, I, I think I'm maybe a type nine as well, because a lot of the things he's describing about a type nine really sounds like me. And I look back at my test results and that's actually like my number two on the list. Like I'm also a lot of that as well as the type six. So anyway, what, whatever type you are, that's a really helpful book just in understanding even further, you know, what does that mean once you know your type and uh, the Enneagram is a free test. I'll include uh, a link in the show notes. Again, if you want to take it yourself or have somebody else take it, it's like five minutes, super easy to figure out uh, where people are at. Yeah. And then another one is the Myers-Briggs. I hear a lot of people really respect that one. I don't know exactly why though. It's been around for a long time. I know. Yeah. I, I've taken it a few times and I've actually like changed a bit. Like at one point I was a super introvert and then I was sort of just over the edge into extrovert territory. And now I think I'm probably back in introvert territory. So Thanks, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, but but yeah, it's, it's just another, you know, narrative to help you understand a person. When I took it, it was sort of more in the context of let's help you figure out what you should do as a career. Like that was sort of why we were doing it, to understand that. But I, I think there's lots of other reasons why a person could do that and figure out what their type is. There's also another one that that I discovered a couple of years ago from Perry Marshall called the marketing DNA test. It's has a lot of similarities to the Colby test. Like it looks similar. I don't know that this is something that everybody needs to take, but if you're hiring for somebody who's going to be like, you know, wearing a public hat at all, like answering phones for you or representing you in some way or doing videos or yeah, doing videos or, you know, whatever it might be like being the personality of your company. It's also pretty interesting just to figure out um, what a person's strengths are. Like, for example, there's uh, the alchemist and then there's the producer. And those are sort of like polar opposites of each other. And at Ari Tipster, Jaron is who I would consider to be an alchemist. And I am what I would consider to be a producer. Like, that's what the results of our tests said. And what that means is a producer is somebody who does not do good on the spot. Like if you throw them in front of a stage with no preparation, it's going to be ugly. It's not going to go well. But if you give them lots of time to like think through it and figure it out and process what they're going to try to say when they finally do get on stage, like it'll be really good, but they don't do good on the spot. Whereas Jaren's the type where like you can throw them on stage and it probably will come out really well. He doesn't necessarily need that. I think everybody needs to prepare, but some people need like, it's almost like a psychological thing. It's not that they don't know what to say. They just need to like get into that headspace. And Jaren is like there. He can just wing it and it'll come out great. So, but that's just an example of understanding who you are and who you're possibly going to hire if you're hiring for that kind of role. I will say though, I uh, would encourage you, even if you have like a natural tendency to do well on the spot, you could be that much better if you prepare thoroughly. So yeah, for sure. Um, my biggest thing that I have to watch out for is over talking or every time I prepare for any kind of like a public talk or webinar or whatever, I have to 
really reduce the amount of stuff that I want to say and the material because otherwise I can just like fire hose people <laughs> with information. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've actually seen that in my writing stuff that I wrote a long time ago and even stuff that I write today as I go through it a second and a third time and a fourth time to try to clean it up. That's one of the biggest things I notice about myself is that sometimes there's just like fluff I'll put in there, a string of words that like just didn't need to be there. Like it didn't add anything, just cut it, you know, just get to the point in as few words as possible, get it across. And I think it's sort of like, how can you let your listener or your viewer or your reader burn as few mental calories as possible? Like understand what you're saying without having to wait for it or let you get to the point, just like get it out there quick. And in a way, that's sort of comes from preparation as well. I know when I wing stuff, I tend to ramble. But if I if it's very clear what I'm trying to say, I don't need to ramble because I it's right there in my head. Yeah, it's really sad from a content production standpoint because while you're writing it, you're like, oh, this is the greatest. I, like I'm going to change somebody's world, you know? Like, yeah. and you're going, and then you read back on it, and you're like. These three paragraphs that I spent like two hours trying to articulate and and really convey this point have they're just completely useless and just a completely sidestep that is distracting from the flow and main point of the article. So you got to nix it, you know. Yeah, totally. It's uh, it's rough. I feel like writing is one of my least favorite mediums to convey information into the world because. It's such a fine line between giving too little information and giving too much. Yeah, it's challenging, man. Another thing that I heard on a podcast, I think it was, I don't remember where this came from, but say you've got like two or three different candidates that you could hire, like they all seem to be good and you're not sure which one you should go with. I've heard that you're supposed to hire in this order based on the person's character, number one. And then competence is number two. And then charisma is number three. And then personality and fit on teams is number four. They all matter. But in terms of what matters most, it's in that order. Again, character, competence, charisma, personality, and fit on teams. And uh, as I look back at my experience of hiring various people, I think I would agree with that. The charisma thing maybe might not matter as much depending on the on the role. Like if you're hiring somebody who's just going to like crunch numbers all day in the back office, like I don't know the charisma is that important, but if they are somebody who is going to persuade others or do anything like that, then yeah, it can matter a lot. Yeah. You definitely don't need the most charismatic person scrubbing list 40 hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So let's jump into where people can find virtual assistants. I'm sure most people out there have heard of at least half of these, but just kind of go through the list. So I know if you're looking to hire for like a one-off job or something that, you know, doesn't need to be done consistently, but you need it done from time to time, Fiverr and Upwork can both be valid places to do that. Fiverr is, is uh, the way that I've heard people explain it is it's like the Walmart of the internet in terms of like, <laughs> you know, you can get good value for a cheap price, but like... Sometimes it's obvious why it's cheap. So it's not always amazing talent there, but sometimes you can find awesome people there. So yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So it's hit or miss, but sometimes you strike you strike gold. Yeah, and Upwork can sort of be the same thing, but I think there's just I don't know. Maybe there's a slightly higher expectation when people go on there. It's like Target compared to yeah. Walmart. <laughs> there you go. That's good. 
Yeah, so Upwork <laughs> is Target. And Upwork can also be used for like long-term employees as well. It doesn't have to be those one-off jobs. And if you do do the long-term thing, they've got pretty good time tracking and payroll systems on there to handle that. And like a messenger is on all this stuff. So, so Upwork is another solid option. I've hired lots of people from there over the years. If you are, are looking for a long-term, like basically the equivalent of a W-2 employee, but they're based in the Philippines, Outsource Accelerator. Again, retipsier.com forward slash Outsource Accelerator. It's our affiliate link there, but I've had a great experience with them. I've sent other friends there who have found good people there. So there's that one. And there's other ones that... Uh, one that I hear about a lot, but I've not yet experienced it myself, is uh, onlinejobs.ph. I think it's kind of just like a job board for the Philippines. I don't know anything about like how ha- payroll is handled through that, if at all, or like time tracking or any of that stuff. But it's one of those websites I consistently hear about people finding really good help through that. So that might be another one. Hire My Mom is another one that, again, not experienced it, but I hear about that one all the time. The idea being, maybe the original idea was there's a lot of like highly qualified people, particularly women or moms that maybe started, you know, they've been to college and everything. They're super smart, very gifted, but then they had kids and sort of had to put their career on hold, but they still want to do something. And so there's lots of really good talent in that pool. I don't think that means everybody that you can find on that website is a mom, but that was sort of where the name came from. Could you imagine some like random single guy just like joins, hire my mom? I think that happens. That'd be be hilarious. Uh, Let's see what else. Uh, Virtual Staff Finder. So I believe this one's owned by Chris Ducker. And Chris Ducker has a book called Virtual Freedom. That's a pretty good read. If you know nothing about VAs or anything like that, might be worth checking out that book. And what there's Rocket Station that Jaron mentioned. And it sounds like that's, Somewhat like outsource accelerate accelerator or a similar thing. Yeah. And the thing is with the rocket station, I've just consistently, as I was asking through my network for recommendations and referrals, repeatedly people kept coming back to like different people that didn't know each other, kept coming back to rocket station as like the preferred route to go, but it is more expensive. It's more of a premium option. So I think that they have high standards where like every VA that comes on has to have graduated from college. And there's like all these hoops that they have to jump through to ensure quality. So again, I don't have firsthand experience with rocket station, but if I had not come up with uh, somebody through my network, that would have been my go-to. That was my plan B. Gotcha. Yeah. There must be something to it. I think I've heard of it as well from somewhere, but yeah. I've just, I've heard more about in specifically to real estate compared to other ones. Gotcha. And speaking of real estate specific VA places, there is, I'd never heard of this before you added it to the list, Jaren, but there's VA for REI, VA, the number four REI. So there you go. I don't know much about that, but you know, there's apparently some focus on the real estate world. If you're in the land business specifically, there's landmaster.us. I've heard lots of good things about this company as well. It's basically, a, you know, from what I know, it's a group of VAs who have learned the land business. So like they get it. They understand the due diligence part. They, they understand direct mail and closing and buying and selling and all this stuff. So if, if you want a VA for land specifically, 
that could be a easy place to go where like you don't have to reinvent the wheel and explain everything to them like they get it like they're ready to go uh, so there's that one by the way they, we're not getting like referral fees or anything uh, i believe we have an affiliate link for fiverr and also outsource accelerator but the rest of these like we're just mentioning them because we know about them and there's also i've never heard of this one either you know reva global r-e-v-a global what's that yeah that just came from doing research online same with um va for rei you know i was just doing a lot of research for um trying to find a va about a month ago and that one came up and looked promising Again, don't know much about it, but it seems to be a good option to to explore and compare and contrast against the others. Yeah. And we actually had a, a forum post. I think Jaren started this a while back, trying to like aggregate a lot of these online VA finding websites. So I'm going to link to that forum conversation in the show notes as well. I'm sure there are many out there that we don't know about and that we did not just mention. So if you're listening to this and you know of other good ones that people ought to know about, head over to that forum post. And if you're not registered for the forum yet, sign up, log in and add your contribution so we can keep adding to the list. Maybe there's a really good one that we all ought to know about. Another insight. So I didn't personally have this problem, but I know some people, they kind of have this mentality that like hiring a VA will solve all their problems. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe they just like, they want to feel like they're growing or like they have a real company with employees and that kind of thing. I don't know, but I've always sort of been the opposite. Like I wait way longer than I should to hire people, but you know, I would just say don't hire a long-term VA until you truly need one. Like don't feel like you need to rush into it. If you're the type who feels that way, a VA won't be able to serve you well until you find the right person for the right task and you have sufficient work for them to do. So just, be aware of that. In case it's not already obvious to you, just keep that in mind. I think it's easy to identify when it's time to do this, when you have the money, obviously, like it's coming in consistently and you're feeling really burnt out on certain tasks that you know you shouldn't be doing. And you know, it's uh, it's not that hard to find people to do it. Like for example, editing blog posts is something I really hate doing. I can do it. Certainly, but like, I just don't enjoy it. And so I hired an editor for that or social media stuff. I don't even know that I necessarily hate that job, but it's just, there's not a big ROI on it. Like just sharing links to listings or blog posts or whatever, or just getting clobbered with tons of notifications and stuff. It's just, sometimes I just go numb when I log into Facebook. So, you know, if that's something that you know, you shouldn't be doing, there you go. Find somebody to help you manage that. Yeah, I also think it's wise to maybe consider having some reserves in place before you hire. So let's say you hired somebody at $600 or $700 a month. Maybe consider setting aside three to six months worth of their salary so that you know, okay, if cash flow is a problem for this month or for this quarter, like nothing stops um, because you had a bad month. I think a lot of people, myself included, <laughs> when I first got started in the land business, I didn't really understand the uh, financial management side of business. Like there's kind of in our, the land coaching program, I, I share this in, in the, um, kind of the second lesson. We have like a whole outline all about this stuff, but I feel like the approach to success in business is kind of a two-sided coin. One is generating revenue. And that's like by flipping land or houses or wholesaling or whatever it is 
the skill set or service that you're facilitating to make money. But the second side of that coin is managing that revenue. And if you don't understand that side, then you can really be setting yourself up for failure or to be extremely vulnerable or volatile. Um, You have one or two bad months and you can be in a world of hurt. Whereas if you have reserves and savings in place, that can really help streamline and protect you against bad months. So, I mean, it's something to think through, but if you were going to hire somebody, maybe have like three to six months of their salary on hand before you hire them. Yeah, I think it's super solid advice. And also, depending on where the person is and where you're hiring them from and which kind of hiring platform you're using, for example, like in the Philippines, there's a very different set of national holidays that that country goes by. I mean, there's some similarities, like, I don't know what it is, Christmas maybe or New Year's or something like that. But, you know, there's there's some overlap, but there's also a lot of stuff that that person and everybody they know is not going to be working on a certain day. And if if you're not aware of that, you either need to communicate that or just like get it, get what the societal norms are and the cultural norms, wherever they are. And either compensate them for those holidays or don't make them work those holidays. And I think what it boils down to is just understanding where they're from and what they expect and what they want and need. And uh, I think if you're using a service like Outsource Accelerator, like a lot of this will be built in, like they will take care of this for you and make sure you understand it and notify you of this stuff. But if you're just finding somebody from Upwork, like you're kind of on your own to figure this out. And uh, it probably goes without saying, but don't ever pay your VAs late. I mean, that's just, just kind of disrespectful. And it's, it's a really good way to lose them really fast. Just think of it yourself. You know, if you were working a job and one day your paycheck just doesn't come through (laughs) or it comes through like a week late, like that's a big deal. Like you need that. Yeah. That'd be really bad. Yeah. and, And just in general, like when you've hired enough people and just dealt with enough people like this, you start to realize finding really good help and really good people who care a lot about what they're doing. It's not that easy. A lot of people don't care. And sometimes you got to go through several people to find the right one. And when you do find somebody who's really good, don't take that for granted. Give people bonuses, like, you know, give them time off or autonomy or something like show your appreciation and don't just assume it's going to be easy to pick up another really good person. If your first really good person leaves Yeah, just kind of a general principle, like when you find good people in your life, whether it's friends or family or whatever, like make sure they know that. Lavish them with blessings if you can, because it's just a really special thing. Yeah. And understand that when you first hire somebody, productivity actually like decreases at first until they're trained. And then, and then it becomes, you know, much more productive and much more streamlined and take, you know, adds more time on your hands. So if somebody does end up having, to leave because you didn't pay them on time or you didn't handle the relationship very well, that's going to be counterproductive in a major way. So you want to try to avoid that as much as you can. Yeah. And I think one way to determine if somebody is really good is sort of just answering the question, is this person life-giving? Are they making things like remarkably better? Is my life way easier? Are they taking care of things that I don't have to think about them anymore? Or is it like a huge pain? Like, are you having to catch problems all the time or spend all your time months after they were hired trying to get them to do the job that they're supposed to do? It's usually not like a super precise 
clear line to measure, but just your general gut feeling. A good person should be life-giving to your business. They shouldn't be sucking more resources out than they're contributing. And that's just a good question to constantly be asking. And nobody's going to be life-giving all the time. Like everybody's going to drop the ball. It's not that they need to be perfect, but just looking back over the past month or quarter or year, just assessing that, like, did they give life this year or did they take life from me? (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Great tip there. So I think that's about all I've got. Do you have anything else, Jaron, that we should be covering on that? I'm sure there's more that uh, we could get into, but um, anything jump out to you that we ought to be covering on this? No, I think that this is a really good kind of overview masterclass on the subject. I really would encourage people to read Virtual Freedom by Chris Ducker. That was the first introduction to um, the world of virtual assistants for me. And I think that it's a really good primer. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that book a lot and I, I took a bunch of notes. I still refer back to him sometimes when I'm trying to figure out if I'm on the right track or not. <laughs> yeah. He has some um, podcasts from way back in the day with Pat Flynn and stuff that might be worth checking out. I don't know what he's up to these days, but I know, I don't know. It was probably 11 years ago or something. I don't know. It was a really long time ago that I was uh, first exposed to all that stuff. Yeah. And also I never really knew this, but when I was hanging around with uh, Pat Flynn's crew a few years ago, apparently some VAs make like 85 or a hundred bucks an hour. They can get super expensive and, you know, just realize I'm not saying everybody listening to this or anybody listening to this should do that, but just kind of gives you a perspective for like the range. 600 bucks a month is super cheap (laughs) when you consider all the things a VA can do and the level of delicacy that some things need to be handled with, like there are times when that's warranted. So just kind of look at your own situation of the work you're trying to do and whether it warrants that. Maybe it does, but maybe it doesn't. Yeah, man. Are we going to do our question? Yeah, sure. It's been a little bit since we've, we've done one of these. Yeah. So yeah, I'll just pick this one out of the deck. So the question is, if you got stuck in an elevator and were forced to listen to only one song, what song would you pick? Oh, man. Um, how long am I stuck in the elevator for? <laughs> man, I don't know. Let's say 72 hours. That's a pretty long time. <laughs> and it has to be playing constantly? I think so. That seems to be how the question is worded. There's a lo-fi track that has pretty much become the theme song of my life. Actually, I don't even know if it's proper lo-fi to be honest but it's called relaxing sleep music plus stress relief dash relaxing music slash insomnia meditation music by uh the soul of wind and it it's a three hour long track it's a very subtle very melodic harp playing that's like three hours long it's great to sleep to if i had to be stuck for 72 hours even if i was listening to like you know, one of my absolute favorite songs like Gravity by John Mayer or something that would get old pretty quick. So I I would wisely choose something that would be easily, you know, fade into the background. Yeah. Kind of music. Yeah, man. Even um, even like an entire, like I've got, you know, different playlists that I listen to. I've got a classical playlist and Oasis and Our Lady Peace and Metallica and different bands that I've liked over the years where I, it's just all their stuff that I listen to all day long. And all of it gets old eventually, even not one song, but like their entire catalog. is just like, I'm done with that. I don't want to listen to that anymore. Yeah. It seems like just about anything that 
has singing or a beat or something like it all gets repetitive. So I think if there was a way to, even if, <laughs> I don't know if this qualifies, but like, I know there's some tracks out there that are just like basically white noise for sleeping. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. what I would do just cause it's super neutral and there's not a whole lot to get annoyed with there. It's just noise. But I guess if I did have to pick a proper song, man, Maybe like Hotel California or something from the Eagles, but I don't know. Well, let me ask you this. What would you say is your favorite song of all time, or at least one of them within like the top three? Man, that's really hard. Favorite song of all time. I know for me, it's, um, as I mentioned, Gravity by John Mayer. That's one of my favorite songs for sure. I, uh, I asked my family the other day, and we went around the table just for fun. If you were to describe my personality in one song, what would it be? And um, my sister-in-law said Gravity. She says that song always reminds her of me. Yeah. It's funny. I, I don't, I haven't spent a lot of my life listening to classical music, but like, I have to admit, there is some brilliant songwriting. Are you familiar with like Beethoven's Fifth Symphony? Like the da 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 if you listen to that, there are just like layers and layers and layers of, of music going on that like they're different, but they complement each other. And it's just an amazing piece of work. If you like really analyze what's going on there or like Claire de Lune by Claude Debussy, or there's a piano sonata from Mozart and, and all the songs are like really weird names, like symphony number 864, you know, fifth movement to the eighth power times 10, just like, no, I, I don't know how they came up with these names, but some, some of them are just amazing. You can't deny the genius behind what the, these guys wrote. And this was back in like the 16, 1700s, 1800s when, I mean, Beethoven was like basically deaf. He couldn't even hear this stuff for the most part. So yeah, man. it's just, yeah, I don't know how their brains worked, but clear geniuses. There's no way to deny that. Well, the culture too was very fixated around like any, if you were middle class or upper middle class, everybody played an instrument from the time that they were little. Yeah. So it was just very much more you know, at the center of what was valued in the culture. It's one of my bucket list items in my life to get the best seating in the house and go to a live orchestra. My family is not interested in that whatsoever. So it's never happened. But for like my birthday or something, maybe when my I'll go with sons are older. Yeah. I would love to, man. I heard Michael Hyatt, if you guys, if anybody knows who that is, he talks a lot about leadership and stuff. He described on a podcast once that I listened through. He actually has like a, a kind of a secret podcast stream called East Meets the West. And he's, cause he's actually an Orthodox, like Eastern Orthodox deacon in the Eastern Orthodox church. And one of the things that he talked about was an experience of going to a live orchestra and and there was a tour and um he was invited to actually sit or stand where the conductor stands and have the orchestra play and he said that it was a small group of people and it was so moving to be that close to the orchestra that people legitimately started crying um it was that impactful because like i guess when you're live it it's one thing to listen to recordings but when it's live apparently it's super impactful maybe i'm like hyping it up and i've like idealized it in my head so it's really not that all that but ever since i heard that on the podcast i've always wanted to go yeah in my experience of listening to like live symphonies i would agree like in that first 
five minutes or so, like it's amazing, like what they sound like. But when they go on for an hour and it's the same sounding <laughs> stuff, it's kind of like if you listen to anything, I don't know. I don't know if it's like ear fatigue or it becomes sort of like white noise almost. And like, I, I oftentimes find myself almost falling asleep. Maybe it's just the unfortunate way the human mind works. Like we need to constantly be surprised with new, interesting things. But, but I guess we'll find out sometime when we go see the symphony, Jaren. It'll be fun. Let's do it. That'd be awesome. If anybody wants to geek out on classical music, there are these two guys that have a YouTube channel called two set violin. And, uh, it's pretty dumb content. It's like, if you're at the end of the day and you need to like have bubble gum for your brain, cause you've been concentrating too hard. I would encourage you to go check them out. You'll get a real sense of what I find entertaining and <laughs> my sense of humor by watching them. So, yeah, cool. Well, uh, again, if you guys want to check out the show notes for this episode, retipster.com forward slash 110. And uh, if you guys are listening on your phones, text the word free, F-R-E-E, to the number 33777. You can stay up to date on all things Tipster. So thanks again for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed this. And if you have more to add on the subject, whether you agree or disagree, or if we missed something on this, by all means, Hop over to the RE Tipster forum, retipster.com forward slash forum. Start a new conversation or add to the existing ones that we have there. Let us know what you think. Thanks again. We'll talk to you guys next time. 